All right. Well, good day, everybody. It's good to be back with you again on the Voice of Experience. I really enjoy doing these podcasts and talking about the different uh, articles that we write at IP Magazine and all. And uh, the the one we're going to discuss today is a really good one. It's going to it's one of those things. I guess out of all the things that my company's requested to provide and present to my customers. Uh, system cover-up, insulate and isolate distribution cover-up, and also system grounding are two of the number one demanded topics. And I think the uh, cover-up is in great demand for the simple reason of the way the standard is actually written, the regulation. Um, Of course, I've been in the business a long time. Most of you know me. But uh, I started as a helper on a line crew in 1967. You know, it was a long time. A lot of things has changed since then. And uh, the the company I went to work for, Georgia Power Company, I'm very proud of that company. They've done wonders and they're part of Southern Company. And they're still, you know, a a shining beacon as far as I'm concerned amongst all the investor-owned utilities out there. And... uh, I was taught to cover up. Well, at you know, back then there was <laughs> there were no OSHA regulations. It was can to can't, and it was learn quick or go somewhere else and read meters or do something. But as a as a helper and an apprentice and a line crew, uh, they had me in a bucket truck when I was I I hadn't even made truck driver. They put a pair of rubber gloves on me and let me go up and cover up a, a single phase primary with another lineman because they wanted me to feel that primary. They said, you know, if you don't like the way this feels, you might want to go a different direction. And I just thought it was fascinating and I always have and I always will. Um, but uh, when it comes to cover up, uh, the thing that we find out in the real world today is uh, probably 50 the 55% of the companies I deal with wear sleeves and somewhere between 40 and 50% do not. And uh, of course there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of conversation and of course they, I get asked for my opinion on it because I've never worn a pair of sleeves. Uh, the company, like I said, taught me to cover up and we really did a fairly good job, you know, even back in the 60s and 70s when I started. And, but it, it got better in the 80s because of things that happened. And this, of course, is a big company, you know, with 1,000 people wearing glove, every glove, gloves every day. And, uh, but there were occasions when things happened. And we thought, and the company really thought we were kind of head and shoulders above everybody else when it comes to protecting employees and cover programs. Well, at the bottom line, we still had never gone more than three years and 10 months without a fatality. And gosh, it was two times in the history. Once I did all the homework on it as the corporate safety consultant. And when we were rebuilding programs and talk about changing the apprentice cut program to different, to get to the new cover-up distribution cover-up that we were we thought was needed based on what our trainers at the Klondike Training Center came up with and uh, of course I was in safety and talked to them but 
the uh, the method in which we were covering up was probably contributing to what the problem was. And uh, if you, it was all based on the regulation. It's just based on you know, the the requirement to not put an unprotected part of the body within minimum approach distance of an energized conductor. And so we had some incidents occur in the late 80s and early 90s, and all of a sudden they said, okay, we got to fix this. So we came up with a new program, and they started the cover-up program, and gosh, I think the last one, last incident we that occurred due to cover-up, to my knowledge today, was uh, in June of 1996. So, you know, went from having a fatality every three years and 10 months to now basically uh, 20 something years since, since an incident of uh, fatalities occurred because of cover up. Uh, that's quite remarkable. And it was just a very minor change. Well, and this is what I teach today is a very similar program to what we changed our program to at Southern Company way back. I've added a few things to it and put a little bit more conservative spin on it than, than some people. And I've had occasions where I've gone into companies and taught cover-up programs. And I, I remember one, and I won't name the company because it's not necessary, but the fact of the matter was that after the class was over with, we always let the, the, you know, the linemen critique our class. Because usually what we show them is a little bit different than what they're doing. And uh, I had this one journeyman. Uh, he gave feedback, the manager, his manager, and he says it was a waste of his time. Uh, that he had been doing this cover-up and he had been doing line work 20 years or more. And he knew what he was doing. And he just didn't feel like he needed to take the time to have the additional two or three blankets that we were required or an extra gut or two on a face. And we, he said, I just don't think it's necessary. I'm not going to do it. Well, lo and behold, within six months, maybe a little over six months, but less than a year, that same manager called me back and he says, uh, Danny, you ain't going to believe what happened. And he said, uh, you remember the guy that filled out that? Yeah. And he said, well, he just had a, he had a, 13 2 phase ground contact and almost got killed. And it was because he didn't cover up. And I, you know, I, I kind of relate that story quite often as I talk about this. And, you know, like I said, most of the time when we go in and we talk to companies about their distribution cover up program, we find their current training program was just like my current training program then at my company and it was based purely on what the regulation required because in 1994 92 to 94 when i the first version of the of uh, the uh, 1910-269 program came out and of course it didn't have art flash and it didn't have the ppe requirements that we have now after the 2014 update but it did say virtually the same thing then as it says now uh, matter of fact, I think I, you know, I wrote a I wrote an article for IP Magazine. It's in the archives that basically uh, asked the question. I think that the title of the article was "Did OSHA Miss an Opportunity?" and <laughs> got a couple of calls 
what are you, what are you trying to say, Reigns? <laughs> I said, well, no, I'm not being critical, but I'm just saying, could we have made the regulation a little uh, clearer and more uh, distinct? Because if you really look in the regulation, paragraph L of 1910-269, and it talks about exactly what I'm saying, and it says that, you know, um, utilities and employers shall uh, ensure that their employees wear rubber gloves and sleeves while doing energized work. But then it gets down to L4I. And then it says when employees, uh, when employee uses rubber insulating gloves as insulation from the energized part, and see, and that's what the standard required. They're always energized, energized, energized. It's mentioned nine times. And the only difference of potential in there is uh, mentioned once. And that energized at a different uh, potential than the energized conductor. And that's what everybody focused on was covering up energized, energized, energized. Well, there's another theory as to why it was written that way. And of course, my friend and retired trainer, safety guy, Jerry Wester, and several others came up with this conclusion, you know, based on what Jim Lancour said, which was one of my mentors, is I was in safety, and he was in Southern Company safety, but still, uh, they focused on it because there was a lot of work being done off a pole, and the energized conductor had to be covered up then, rather than, you know, you, you get in a bucket truck, you can put yourself in positions uh, that you never could get in climbing a pole, of course, uh, much more convenient and your feet doesn't hurt, but you've got in, you put yourself in a position to where you could get between difference of potentials, whether it be a ground, an arm or a guy and an energizer. If you didn't cover up the energizer, very good, you know, well, that's what we changed and that's what based on what this standard says, and I'll read the rest of it now. It says, however, when employees rubber and using rubber, rubber gloves for insulation from an energized part, as it's required in this section, the employer shall ensure that the employees also uses rubber insulating sleeves. Then it goes on to say, however, an employee need not use rubber insulating sleeves if, Two requirements, energy, exposed energized parts in which the employee is not working on are insulated from the employee. And when installing the insulation for the purpose of this section, the employee installs the insulation from a position that does not expose his or her upper arm to contact with other energized parts. Well, that's what our program at uh, Southern Company was based on was those things. I mean, we focused on energized parts and we basically tried to position ourselves away from grounds and any other differences of potential. But unfortunately, if you look at all the fatalities that occur in the industry today, I say all, most all of them are phase to ground contacts. Uh, they're phase two difference of potential contacts. You may have an induction every once in a while you may have an open neutral, you may have a, an improperly grounded, you may have step or touch potentials, but by far, if they're doing, if you're working primaries and you're standing in a bucket truck 
And there's a contact, which there's a contact now about once a week. There's either a contact or flash about once a week. And I think right now, as far as we can count, and I've heard, I mean, we're up to about 14 different fatalities this year, and it's just June. Uh, so we're, you know, we're not quite halfway through the year, but we're in the middle of the 100 days of summer, which basically from May 20th to September the 10th is what I used to call the 100 days of summer because about 60% of everything that's going to happen to a company will happen in that 100 days. Uh, all the OSHA recordables and stuff. And then you have another spike somewhere around Thanksgiving to Christmas due because of the distractions from the holidays and all that. But when you read that, and I mean, there's been lawsuits, there's been, there's been a, all kinds of things uh, in the industry that's based on this regulation right here. And uh, I know I testified in a case not too awfully long ago and actually pulled the court recorder, pulled up the regulation and read it to the jury. And of course the jury, I guess, didn't understand or didn't agree with what the law says. That is the law, you know, by the way, uh, it's uh, enforced by courts. But this was a civil trial here, not, not an OSHA, but, uh, it's just, just one of those things. But yeah, that's why I never wore sleeves and most of the employees at my company never has and never will unless they take something, unless they do something with this regulation. I think it's going to remain the same. And it's because of that cover program that was developed by our training department at Klondike and then by everybody out there, including me in safety, when it comes to, you know, the linemen, it was already existing in the field and the apprentice linemen that were in apprentice school at the time. And since then, it's just been a different world that uh, for them to live in. And so when somebody asked me now, and this is what the question came up, and I have questions, <laughs> people ask me all the time questions about, you know, is it safer to wear uh, sleeves, uh, you know, than it is just to cover up? Well, of course, my opinion, humble, <laughs> is that sleeves, you know, are another tool in the toolbox to make it safer while you're covering up. What I find in the industry many times is what, and I'm doing this by observation. I go out and watch people work and they'll ask me to come out and watch people work. Uh, when you start relying on the sleeves more than the rubber for protection of the employee, you're not meeting the regulation. You know, uh, that's not what the intent of the regulation is for. But if, uh, if you feel so strongly that you need to wear sleeves while covering up until you get it covered up, I know several companies that require sleeves when you're, when you're do, applying cover, but once the cover is in place and everything is in a normal operating condition, linemen are allowed to take the sleeves off and just work in that area with rubber gloves on, which, you know, I have no problem with that. I mean, I think that's safe. Uh, many folks today, though, the way line work is being taught in schools all over the place <clears throat> is that. You know, 
you can't do line work without sleeves. And uh, that's, I just disagree with that. I think you can if you're taught correctly. But the main thing with the whole thing is the performance issue of the employees while they're doing the work. And I think that's the missing ingredient is that there's not enough supervision. There's not enough willingness of employees out there to stand there and say, wait a minute, do you need some more cover there? In the book I've written, and most of you know about the book, Legends of an Old Lineman, uh, I recount a couple of different incidents in there, uh, in that book that strike me as really important that taught this young lineman a lesson back in 1973 when I had been a journeyman about a year. And uh, <laughs> of course, that's what I call University of Hard Knocks. You know, you think you you think you're doing it, but you lose that loss of focus or attention. Are you focusing on something else other than the obvious? And you don't really expect anything to go wrong because it had never done that before. And usually that's when something bad happens. And I had one, one flash one time, the worst flash I had, uh, I caused a couple, <laughs> but it was mid span and stuff. It was not, you know, but this one was in my face and it was, it was nasty, really nasty. And it didn't hurt me too bad. I had a second degree burn on my arm above my rubber glove and below my shirt. And of course, we didn't have on art rated FRPPE back then, or just an old cotton t-shirt. And then I had a first degree burn on the side of my face. I had a gut full of chest full of glass from a slack span insulator that I shorted out with a with a wrench across a steel arm and a face, 7.2 kV ground about four spans from a substation, about 8,000 amps fault current, about eight cal flash, and uh, came out of it pretty good because of just what happened on that job site. Uh, there's much more detail in the book itself, okay? But all I did is when I put a split blanket around that, that slack span insulator, I left the corner of the arm, the, the, the blanket overlapped, of course, and I let the corner of that arm come out just a fraction, and I didn't notice it because I was looking at the slack span, and I was one of the other guys that was with me. We couldn't even cover it up. We couldn't do anything. He was just holding it while I tried to slack the, the slack span clamp off. And all we were going to do is just slide the wire because it was only 30-foot span, but it had gotten out of sag, and the guys were messed up. And it was one of those things where had I been – looking at the entire picture instead of just that one thing, I may have seen it and it never would have happened. But as it was, uh, yeah, I caused that flash and it was embarrassing. And I'm going, my gosh, uh, I could have got burned up. I mean, it was, it was nasty. And the really bad part about the whole thing was, is that when ever who framed that pole, and then built that slack span vertical to flat. <laughs> well, anyway, that's another story. But they let the pole ground get underneath against the gain, steel gain on the steel arm. So when I hit that arm with that wrench and had the socket on that, that clamp on that 7.2 kV primary, it was just like face ground straight to the neutral. So the, the real flash and explosion took part about five feet away, four feet away, 
from where I was at. And that's what really saved me in that occasion because, you know, as all, as we all know and should understand right now is, you know, the, the, the degree of, of severity of that flash is inversely proportionate to distance. You know, everything is tested at about 18 inches, arms reach. In this case, I was three times that away. So I had reduced that actual incident energy quite a bit. So and this is this is just and there's a series of stories, you know, in my book about things that happen and and not just to me, but to other people around me. And that's how I learned the most about line work is, you know, I had very good people teaching me and mentoring me along the way, but I also paid attention. And, uh, you know, I went for the next 40 years after that and never did have a problem. And that's in a simple, simply because you had a better understanding of what I needed to do. And then when we changed the rules in uh, the apprentice program and the line of development program, it got better for everybody. So I guess the bottom line is, do you have to wear sleeves to, you know, to do, to be safe doing a line work? Now, I guess that's up to you. Some people don't think you can be as safe, but I think if you learn the correct way and learn the proper way of, you know, inside out when you're climbing or outside in when you're in a bucket covering, and then you cover up adequately, not just the energized parts, but everything that's a difference of potential, um, you can basically, uh, you can work, you can do the line work safe. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you this morning. I'm not sure about my time-wise. I kind of lose track when I'm talking about this stuff because I really do enjoy, you know, relating things to everyone that might be helpful to you. I'd like to think it would be. And uh, I think the, the, the one, I just wrote the article um, in this, for the next edition, this one's in the June edition. I think this one will come out in August, but it's going to be, uh, it's about grounding. It's about either equipotential or total isolation grounding. So I'll go ahead and kind of give you a tease on that one. And there, there's one, there's another thing in the regulation, you know, people don't read regulations. They just read their safety rule book. And if people don't take the time to understand why, why the regulations written that way, they might not understand why the rules are written their way in, in their safety book. But again, too, this is another one of those things where the majority of the industry right now is still doing bracket grounding and not equal potential. I say the majority, a lot. Okay. And there's an occasion now based on some things that's happened in the industry and I was personally involved with one or two of them investigating, helping federated insurance uh, look at these incidents and as to why they occurred the way they did. Where, what, look at 1910-269 paragraph N, that's grounding for protection employee, and it's in N2, which is sentence two, paragraph two, and it and it gives you the, it tells you that if if the grounds become impractical or become a greater hazard to the employee, that you can work something de-energized as long as you follow the other protocols that go with that that total isolation requirement. 
And uh, for me, that nobody ever explained that one to me when I was a young apprentice and a young lineman. And we didn't never use total isolation. But now then it's beginning to be common practice, especially on direct buried underground cables when you're splicing primaries. And we'll talk about that the next voice of experience when we come on. So be safe out there. Take care of one another. Look out. Be your brother's keeper. And I'll certainly hope to see you next time. Thank you. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of utility business media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes with your company management prior to implementation.